morning, our sermon this morning is Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The Beatitudes are strange. They're strange. That's why I want you to, to memorize them and to read them frequently this summer. Because they're strange. They're foreign. They, they invade our typical way of, of thinking about the world and our place in it. They give us eyes to see the world through the lens of the kingdom of God. Think about the Beatitudes we've, we've covered so far that we just read. Jesus says that the poor, the mourners, the meek, the hungry and thirsty, and then this Sunday, the merciful are blessed. I've thought about that a lot. He doesn't just say that blessing is, is one day out in the future awaiting those who are poor in spirit, who are hungry, who are meek, who are mourning, who are merciful. He doesn't say that we will one day be blessed if in, in this life we, we pursue spiritual poverty and we mourn with others and we are meek and we're hungry and thirsty and we're merciful and so on. Jesus actually says in the Beatitudes that we are currently blessed in these states of being. That's why I say they're strange. To be poor in spirit is to be blessed. To mourn is to be blessed. To be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be blessed. This is so counterintuitive. Think about mercy. Mercy. Being merciful involves being close to those who are suffering, to be involved with them, to touch their suffering. Being merciful, we're going to see today, involves bearing burdens, absorbing offense, sacrificing comforts, and feeling deeply the pain of others. And Jesus says, in that state, we are blessed. It's, it's so counterintuitive. This is the life that Jesus approves of, a merciful life, a life of spiritual poverty. This, these are the people that, that God favors. We just don't think this way. I mean, for the sake of happiness and comfort, we tend to resist mercy and withdraw from such people who are in need of it. And do you know what our world needs more than anything else right now with everything that's going on and this has been one complex and chaotic year our world needs people who embrace and live out the beatitudes our world needs kingdom people we don't need more people who are trying to find enemies to fight we have enough polarization we have enough division. We don't need more people who are trying to avoid the bad or ugly parts of the world so that we can stay comfortable. The world needs kingdom people. We need people of the Beatitudes. The world needs people who look within and say, you know what? The world really is messed up, but I'm part of the problem. And we also need people who are able to say in the same breath, I also know the greatest solution to the world's problems, and that is Christ in me. A world full of self-sufficiency needs people who are poor in spirit. A world full of those who ignore the hurting 
needs those who mourn with the hurting. A world full of pride needs the meek, and a world full of injustice needs those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And a world full of suffering and a world full of sinners desperately needs the merciful. Jesus' fifth beatitude is both a declaration of good news to the merciful and guidance for how we can be merciful. You see, we've been talking about the good life, and that's really what I'm talking about here. The good life is a life of mercy. Mercy that is both shown and mercy that is received. So as people of the kingdom of God, we are called to draw near to sufferers and sinners and live the life that God has always desired of us. So let's consider this fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, in these two ways. We live the good life by receiving mercy from God. And then another way, we live the good life by showing mercy to others. So we're going to be talking about mercy in those two ways, receiving mercy from God and showing mercy to others. But before we do that, we, we really have to ask this question. It's so important. We won't be able to go any further without it. What is mercy? What is mercy? Well, mercy is a disposition of the heart that acts in two basic ways, okay? Mercy embraces, on the one hand, forgiveness for the guilty. Mercy embraces forgiveness for the guilty. And then in another way, mercy embraces compassion for the suffering and needy. So mercy is a disposition of the heart that acts in these two basic ways, in forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and needy. Mercy begins with a correct evaluation of ourselves, of God, and of others. So ourselves. We will only show mercy when we know that we only deserve judgment. We will show mercy to others when we know deep down that what we deserve is judgment or a correct evaluation of ourselves leads to mercy. Second, a correct evaluation of God. We will only show mercy when we know that God is both just and merciful. When we know that at the very heart and nature and character of God is a heart of mercy and we're seeking to reflect him and be like him, we will be merciful. But if, if the God that we serve and worship is only a God of judgment, then we won't. So it requires a correct evaluation of God. But it also requires a correct evaluation of others. We will only show mercy when we look on others and we see image bearers. We see equals. We see someone who is suffering and sinful and know that we could be in that state and we show them compassion. The merciful person remembers his or her own sin and neediness. The merciful remembers how much mercy that they have received from God. And so the merciful then look to others with compassion and then act to provide either forgiveness or care. There's a great illustration we can turn to. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells this story in Luke 10. And it's a story about a lot, but mercy is really at the heart of it. Luke 
as you're turning there, I'll give you the backstory. And in Luke chapter 10, it's starting in verse 25. There's this, this lawyer who comes to test Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he so often would do, he, he re- replies with a question to the question. And, and he asks him, well, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? How do you read it? And, and this man, this lawyer, he responded and he said, well, the law says that you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus just affirms this. He, he responds to him and he says, you have answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. And so the lawyer, trying to justify himself, Luke tells us, asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What are the minimum requirements here? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, this master teacher, he responds with a story. Here's the story, starting in verse 30. Look with me. Luke chapter 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then he asks this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then the man answered, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus, go and do likewise. This story gives us a snapshot of mercy. What do we see in verse 33? First, this, this, what we know is the good Samaritan. This Samaritan looks on this man who is, who is hurt, who is in desperate need. He looks at him. He sees his pain. And then the second thing he does is he has this internal response of the heart. Mercy begins with an internal response of the heart. He looks on this man, and he has compassion. He has compassion. But, but mercy isn't finished with mere compassion that begins in the heart. It begins there. What does he do next? He takes care of this man. His compassion acts. Mercy gets to work. He responded with these loving actions. He sacrificed for the man. And then finally, one thing we notice about this mercy here, especially this story, is that the merciful are not prejudiced in who they show mercy to. They show mercy to whoever is in need of it. So the truly merciful extend mercy to friends and family, but they extend mercy to enemies as well. As I've been reflecting on mercy this week, I've thought about it. Mercy does not come naturally to any of us. We are not naturally merciful. Now, many of us enjoy receiving mercy when we need it, but few of us actually enjoy showing mercy to others. Receiving mercy costs us nothing. 
We just reap the benefits of receiving mercy. Showing mercy costs us a lot. But, but as I thought about it even more, I'm not even sure that we really want mercy. I, I don't, I'm not even sure we really want mercy. Think about it. Now, I know those of you who have been faced with judgment from either a teacher or, or a boss or a police officer who pulls you over, you're, you're sitting here thinking, no, I promise you, like in those moments, that is exactly what I want. Like I want some mercy. Or, you know, if you've, if you've wounded someone in a relationship, you, you know, you want them to show you mercy. Or if you've been caught in sin, you hope that whoever, whoever catches you shows you mercy. Or when you think about one day meeting a holy God of justice face to face, you think to yourself, yeah, I, I would love some mercy. But receiving mercy actually requires us to admit one of two things that we do not like to admit. Okay? Mercy comes to us when we are either very wrong or very needy. To want mercy from someone first is to know that you have done something wrong. And because of our sinful nature, we don't like to admit when we've done something wrong. Uh, I, I think of this time when I got pulled over earlier this year in, in my own neighborhood. I, I, was, I was driving and I rolled through a stop sign, you know, just kind of just rolled through a stop sign in the joiner neighborhood. And then I saw lights behind me and I was like, oh, someone must have done something up here. And so I just waited on them to pass around me and then uh, they kept following, the cop kept following me, so I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's me. So I turn into Butterbean, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh, ta ta expired tag, no, no, I got that covered, it's a taillight out, why would he pull me over for that, it's so weird. So I'm sitting there thinking, and he comes up to me, and he tells me, hey, you know, you rolled through that, that stop sign back there, and he asked me for my information, he goes back to his car, and as he's back at the car, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, not, man, I really shouldn't have run, I shouldn't have done that, that was wrong. I was sitting there thinking, that stop sign shouldn't be there, you know? That, that is a crazy place to put a stop sign. It hasn't been there before. It's, it's kind of new. I wasn't used to it, and I started making all these excuses. I don't want to admit it. I'm not sitting there thinking to myself, I really hope he shows me mercy because I deserve the judgment of a ticket. I hope he gives me the mercy of a warning. He did give me the mercy of a warning, and, I was, and the thing is, then I was happy to receive it, you know? It's like, oh, thank you for your mercy, but I didn't want it. Because wanting the mercy would have involved in that silly illustration admitting that I ran a stop sign and that I was wrong and that I shouldn't have done that. On the other hand, to want mercy from someone could also mean that we are in desperate need. Maybe, maybe we've messed up with our finances and we just, we just need help. Maybe something's happened to us that's a little embarrassing, or maybe it just feels embarrassing to ask for help, period. But to, to receive mercy, we have to swallow our pride and confess our need to someone who is able to help, and we don't like doing that. But we also resist mercy when we're on the other side of things. We don't like to show mercy because that would mean confronting someone or talking to them, having a hard conversation, telling them how we feel that they have wronged us. It would require forgiving someone who has wronged us. And sometimes we just think to ourselves, I don't even want to have the conversation because I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't want to do it. I don't want to forgive them. Bitterness feels so good to our flesh. Bitterness feels so good to our sinful hearts. Gossip is so much easier 
So we're prone to withdraw. But such a life of resisting mercy runs in the opposite direction from the good life of the kingdom. It is the merciful who are blessed. It is the merciful who will receive mercy. So we see this in two ways. The good life, the life that God calls us to live in Christ, is a life that shows mercy to others. It doesn't resist mercy. It first shows mercy to others. This life of blessing is a life of mercy that is received from God but shown to others. Now, what does it look like to show mercy to others? And I really hope you get this because... If Trace Crossing would become full of merciful people, relationships would be healthier. The hurting and the needy in our city would find more relief through us. And the gospel would advance, not only as we share it, but as we show it in the community that we build together here, a merciful community. Here are three descriptions I want to give you. Three descriptions of the merciful. And I hope this can help us live in the center of God's blessing that he has for us here as a faith family. Three descriptions, what it means to show mercy. First, the merciful are compassionate. We've mentioned it with the story of the Good Samaritan. But mercy, although it is rooted in justice, is the opposite of judgment. Now, we often treat one another on the basis of our judgments rather than on the basis of mercy. We are prone, naturally. You don't have to think twice about it, okay? It's like getting in the car and driving to a place you drive every day. You don't even think about it. It's second nature. We assume the worst in one another. It's so easy for us to do, we don't even have to think about it. Our perceptions of one another are more often based on prejudgments that we make, and so we're led to draw conclusions of one another without actually talking to each other. And, and when we do that, we don't even feel the need to have a conversation because we have based our view of one another on judgment rather than mercy. Mercy leads us in the opposite direction. The merciful are in touch with the fact that they haven't received what they deserve, which is wrath and judgment from God. But in Christ, they know that they have received far more than they could ever hope, grace upon grace. And so they recognize God's generous mercy towards them and in turn show it to others. When you see yourself as a recipient of God's mercy, when you deserve God's judgment— You view others in the same way, or you should anyway. Mercy from God frees us to be merciful to others. And part of showing mercy is assuming the best of one another in conflict. The merciful constantly, relentlessly assume the best and give others the benefit of the doubt. This is a disposition of mercy. Oh, think about this if you have kids at all, or if you don't have kids, you can probably relate to this. I struggle so much with this in parenting. When my kids make a mess, or especially when they make us late, you know, you know how it is. You're trying to get out the door, you can't get out the door, you know? 
something has happened, someone doesn't have their shoes on, someone can't get buckled in the car. And I'm often quick to judge and I'm slow to show mercy. I think if you had just done what I said, if you would have just obeyed earlier, we wouldn't be in this place. I told you, I told you 30 minutes ago to put your shoes on. You haven't put your shoes on. That's where my mind goes first. But when I, when I start with these prejudgments, that the only reason that they're doing what they're doing is because they're not obedient. They're not wanting to do what I say. I'm far from compassion. I, I, I'm not thinking about what might be going on in their little hearts and their little minds. I, I don't consider for a second that maybe, maybe they had a sleepless night. Maybe they're feeling sick. I'm only thinking of myself in those moments. So when the impulse rises within your heart to judge, to attack, to demean another person who, who disagrees with you or, or you, ha- you have any kind of conflict with, rem- just remember for one moment the great and deep mercy that you have received from God and then look on this person with similar godlike compassion. The merciful are first compassionate. Second, the merciful are sacrificial. The merciful are sacrificial. So mercy requires compassion, but mercy also requires sacrifice. This is another reason why we we resist mercy. it's, It's costly. It's free to others. It's costly to us. The merciful are willing to lose personally for the sake of someone else. Mercy involves absorbing wrongs and letting things go. Mercy often involves paying an emotional cost for the sake of relieving a burden of guilt or misery from another person. I think this is probably Tim Keller's favorite illustration for mercy and forgiveness. I've seen it multiple times in multiple books from him. He talks about you know, he asks you to imagine that, that you're outside at your house or, or maybe you're away, but the neighborhood kids are playing baseball. Okay, so the kids in your neighborhood, they're throwing baseball, they're hitting, they're, just, they're having a blast, they're having fun. And then uh, at one moment, they throw a baseball, it goes over a kid's head, and it busts straight through your window. You know, just breaks your window, your front window, you come home, you find it. Now, what do you do in that moment? You have every right to demand repayment, right? The, the parents of the kid will probably want to do that. They will want to pay for the window to be repaired. You have every right to do that. You are not wrong for demanding repayment. But if you decide that you want to show mercy and not ask them to repay and to just forgive the debt, it costs you, unless you just don't want a front window. But if you want the window, you've got to repair it yourself and you have to replace it, and you have to pay. You absorb the cost of the window, and you relieve the debt. Showing mercy to the the neighbor kids in this illustration who break your window is personally costly. The same is true for showing mercy to someone who sins against you, because mercy doesn't demand repayment. Now, someone who sins against you, restitution may be required on their end of things, They may need to make things right and to set things right, and that is good and right and well. But on your end of things, you are offering mercy and forgiveness freely 
without holding their guilt over their heads as a debt. You absorb the debt. You absorb the wrong or the sin. Why do we do that? Why does mercy work this way? Why is mercy by nature sacrificial? If you're going to go out and help someone who is in desperate need, you personally absorb a cost. Well, because that's the kind of mercy that we have received from Jesus. Our salvation costs us nothing. It's free to us. But it costs Jesus everything. God shows us mercy in Christ because on the cross, Jesus absorbed our guilt, our shame, and our sin. Jonathan Dodson says that merciful people show others what has been and forever will be shown to us in Christ. The merciful are sacrificial, but third, the merciful are also active. So the merciful are compassionate, sacrificial, and and third, they are active. Mercy requires activity. Mercy is not passive or weak. The, the merciful, they, they get things done. They, they see someone in need and they meet that need. They, they don't just feel sorry for the poor and the hungry. They work to alleviate poverty and hunger. Mercy compels us to see hurting people as people, not projects. So, so when we engage in mercy ministries in our city to care for those who are hurting, We don't do it so that we can feel good about ourselves for doing a good deed. Mercy is active compassion towards real people. So the merciful want to know the people who are hurting. I I was reminded of this one evening a couple months ago whenever Tommy and Jenny Lee asked us to come over for dinner. Um, We were over at their house eating. Our boys were in their backyard turning over every single rock that they had, you know, in their backyard looking for worms and bugs and stuff, you know. So they were merciful to us in that in and of itself. But they started sharing stories about how they've cared for the homeless in, in the past in Tupelo. And what was so striking about the story was the way that they told the story. You see, when I was sitting there with him, I didn't just hear about some Christian couple who wanted to do something good, and so they sacrificed, sacrificed a few weekends, some money, and some energy to provide meals for people who were hungry. Now, when they told the stories, I heard about people I'd never met before. And by the end of the story, I felt like I knew them. That's because when, when the Lees were serving the homeless... They got to know the actual people. They knew their names. I heard names. I heard stories. I heard stuff about, about families. They told these stories with laughter and affection and joy and sorrow. And, and they gave me this, this tangible example of active compassion. And do you know what was motivating it the whole time, Mr. Tommy? He, he, he shared his motivation when he said, you know, the way I look at it, we're all just one month away from being homeless ourselves. We're just one month away from being homeless ourselves. And so, you know, I don't want to make his head any bigger than it already is, but he, he's hitting the, he, he is hitting the very nature of mercy. Out of the mercy that he knew his family had received, they wanted to show mercy to others that were in need of it. And this is how mercy works. And it works. It's hard work. Those who are passively compassionate, they're more like the priest and the Levite who passed by the man lying on the road. Maybe they felt sorry for the man. Maybe they looked at him and had pity. Oh, bless his heart. But they did not stop to help him. 
Mercy works. It is active. The good life is a life of mercy, a life of other-centered, sacrificial, active compassion that flows from the fountain of God's mercy, and a life of untouchable happiness that transcends circumstances is a life that is nourished by the mercy of God and then poured out in mercy towards others. So the good life is a life that shows mercy to others, but man, don't we fail at this. We fail to do this so often. So, and, 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 and even if you were someone who, who feels like maybe you have a gift of mercy and you show mercy a lot, there is good news for you here too. The good life is not just mercy shown, it is mercy that is received. This is why this beatitude is a declaration of the gospel. The merciful need mercy from God. Look at verse 7 again. Blessed are the merciful and look at the promise for they shall receive mercy. You see, when you are merciful, the eyes of your heart see those who are suffering and those who are sinning. And they don't withdraw from them. They draw near to them and they absorb their pain. Your your heart, when you are merciful, can be overrun with sorrow as you bear the suffering and the sin of others, as you seek to provide spiritual, relational, physical relief, Jesus promises us mercy. Now on the surface, maybe an initial reading of this beatitude, it seems to teach works righteousness, right? That, that you know, maybe you see it as a transaction. If I'm merciful now, then I will receive mercy from God later. I have to be merciful. And if I'm merciful enough, then God will be merciful to me. It's, it's easy to see this as if you are somehow earning mercy from God by showing mercy to others. But read it again. Look at it again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive, not reward, they shall receive mercy. If the merciful are promised to receive mercy... It means that they haven't atoned for their sins through their own acts of mercy. They're still in need of mercy in the end. They still need it. And earned mercy is impossible because of the definition of mercy. If mercy is earned, it's not mercy, it's a wage. Only those who deserve judgment receive mercy. Only those who are in great need receive mercy. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because even the merciful are in great need. Even the merciful deserve judgment. Yet on that day, they will receive mercy from God. You see, the great promise of the gospel is that the merciful themselves are guaranteed mercy from God. God will be merciful to us now and he will be merciful to us in the end. And in fact, for those of us who are clinging to Jesus by faith, the Lord of mercy, we can expect nothing but mercy from him every single day until the end of time and beyond. And we all need mercy. Maybe that's just a simple, that's that's your starting point. Maybe your starting point this morning is, you need to be reminded that you need mercy. I want to remind you that 
true mercy is found in Jesus. And for those of us who, who are beyond that, who know that we have received his mercy, maybe you need to be reminded that you are called to be an agent of his mercy, to extend his mercy into the world, to those who are hurting and to those who are in sin, or those who are suffering. A life of mercy will one day be met with mercy in the end. So I pray that Trace Crossing would become a merciful church for the glory of Christ. Because as we extend mercy, we reflect the God who is nothing but merciful to his people. And I pray that others would be drawn to his mercy as we seek to provide this act of compassion. Let me pray.